Comunidad, welcome back to another episode of Radio Teco Cultura, a podcast of the legacy San Francisco bilingual community newspaper, El Tecolote. I'm Alexis Terrazas, editor-in-chief, and today we're going to talk about wrestling. Earlier this year, my family and I traveled across the bay to Richmond, California. In the parking lot of a local brewery, a wrestling ring was set up. Showgoers sat on bar stools and patches of grass, cheering and jeering alike. Growing up, I loved wrestling. I went to shows, watched it on TV, and played wrestling video games. But this event, if you couldn't tell by its name, was notably different. Full Queer Wrestling for Rights is a safe space for camp and queerness in pro wrestling and aims to affirm queer and marginalized identities in and out of the ring. And given the mainstream rise in queer phobia across the country, I wanted to learn more. Joining us in a few moments are three folks involved in Full Queer, Mexican-American Rising Wrestling star Brooke Havoc and co-producers Marco Rodriguez and Jetta Ray Robertson. Okay, let's start with some uh, basic intros. And Brooke, uh, let's go ahead and start with you. My my actual name is Savannah Ruiz. I wrestle as Brooke Havig. I'm also Mexican-American, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm full queer Princess of Pride champion. Newly crowned. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Felicidades. <laughs> Sure. Hi, my name is Marco Rodriguez. I'm first generation Latino. My mom and dad migrated from Lima, Peru in the 60s. And um, of all places in the United States, and I'm so happy about it, they migrated to Oakland, California, right by Lake Merritt. I'm Jetta. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I came to the U.S. from Germany, um, and I am, along with Marco, one of the producers of Full Queer, um, in addition to wrestling as uh, Rosy Fingers. Wonderful. No, I, I thank you for sharing a little bit about your lives. I really appreciate it. I hope we get to, uh, you know, uh, in this conversation to learn a little bit more about each other. So I want to start kind of at the at the root. Uh, what was the history? What is the history or the origin story of um, of Full Queer? The origin of Full Queer, it started before the pandemic. I wanted to just come up with a wrestling title, a championship belt that could be defended anywhere at any promotion as long as there was queer representation, whether that be uh, a huge uh, advocate slash ally like Brooke Havoc or just someone who was openly queer. And just kind of, it was like a love letter 
to our community that I wanted to just have it be this championship belt that just represented queer culture. And uh, I kind of just didn't know how to introduce it into pro wrestling. So our first show was almost two years ago. And that was just kind of like the genesis of full queer. And when I was organizing it, I was very adamant that I didn't want this to just be a one-time thing or just during the month of June. If we were going to do it, I wanted it to uh, mean something and not just have it be a gay pride or a queer thing during the month of June, uh, like a lot of promotions do. Um, so that was kind of the start of it. And then I uh, was uh, very clear that if we were going to have a show that I wanted uh, Jetta involved in it. So that Aww. was kind of the the start of, it started with the Prince X of Pride title. And I remember speaking to my drag parent in February, 2020, before everything shut down. And I was just like, you know, they want to do this pride show, but they want to have like the princess of pride battle Royal or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I, I think that having anything gendered at a, a pride show, it's just silly at this point. Why are we gendering matches? Why are we gendering wrestlers? Uh, so we just kind of like started brainstorming, like, what is something we could do, like a royalty name that is gender nonspecific? And we came up with Prince X. And then I was like, you know what, actually, I really like this for the name of a championship belt. So then I commissioned the original belt to be made. And it turned out really nice. And um, it was just very inspiring for me to, now that I have the belt, I need to introduce it into the world of pro wrestling. We really picked up steam, like momentum, um, last fall. Um, Marco was approached by Folsom about Folsom Street Fair about running a wrestling stage. We're, we're an LGBT and POC focused wrestling company in the barrier. And that on its face sounds so redundant, right? But every time we go anywhere, we always have like LGBT people of all ages come up to us and be like, oh, I never thought wrestling could be for me. And I didn't realize that wrestling could accommodate someone like me or be made with someone like me in mind. And so, you know, we, we, we built out this Folsom show. We really were just like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're gonna take this crowd of people who are all fucking in the street and just kind of maybe expecting something to just pass the time. And we're going to give them the, the best show that we can, something that would be on par with like what you would have paid for with a ticket um and from that like the appearance at Folsom and then going doing Barrison again for the second year on that momentum has really helped us springboard into a very busy calendar I haven't had a weekend of myself in a while um and that's great it also allows us to kind of shake some stuff because our the shows that we do at, um in Richmond um, at Folsom, at um, Armistice Brewing Company, those are family friendly. Like we, 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 we keep those shows, you know, for the kids because I really want to challenge this notion that like queerness is inherently not family friendly. Like I want 
you know, I, I think that queerness absolutely is family friendly. But that being said, there's things we can do at Folsom that we're not allowed to do um, in shows where they let kids in. And so having the Folsom embarrassing, and we might work up your alley this year too. Um, having yeah. those really helps us kind of express the full breadth of, because, you know, one of the issues with like the, one of the issues that I have with like, with like modern, um, with like the modern messaging around LGBT acceptance is like love is love. And like, yes, love is love, but sex is sex too, right? Like it's not just about like queerness is not, queerness and queer sexuality is not just about doing, having the same things that straight people have, but with gay people, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's about a spectrum of desire and ownership and identity and, you know, running the Folsom shows in addition to your family friendly ones really gives our talent the capacity to be their whole selves. And if you think about it too, right, you think of something like the Folsom street fair, it's roots is in uh, protest. When it started in the eighties, it was about people being displaced by large corporations coming and buying the apartment complexes, tearing them down and building office spaces and uh, rent controlled apartments, just, you know, get out of here. And then you factor in uh, the gay community were dying of AIDS and the government didn't want, at the time, didn't want to even say the word AIDS. I think it wasn't until 1987 or something that Ronald Reagan actually had the words AIDS, HIV come out of his mouth. So to be part of something with so much activism, um, history and roots in protests, it blows my mind. It's just, it'll never not be cool to me that we have a little part of the Folsom Street Fair. I mean, you have people coming from all over the world to experience it. And here we are wrestling in front of thousands of people every year. Yeah, that's that's truly remarkable. I have a a question for for all of you, actually. And, um, you know, how did all of y'all get into wrestling? Like, were you all fans when you were children? Did you watch it growing up? Yes, yes, I'll tell the story. Uh, So when I was around seven years old, uh, my older brother introduced me, and I I have three brothers and a sister, so pretty big family. And uh, so he introduced all of us to wrestling. We never really like had cable or anything like that so my older brother with like all his paychecks and stuff he bought a bunch of dvds and we would just binge watch wrestling all the time and he bought smackdown versus raw 0708 and we would play that till like one in the morning and stuff like that and so that's where i just got hooked and he actually like he saw how much i loved wrestling too so when he was like working his summer job and stuff, he would save up and take me and one of my other younger brothers to local shows and stuff because my parents never could really afford it. So that was how I was able to get to see live shows, which like meant so much to me. I saw, I think, Raw for the first time in uh, the Save Mart Center in Fresno. And then I saw some shows at the SAP Center in San Jose. Um, But that was around... I was like seven years old, so it was probably like 2008-ish, yeah. 
<laughs> Jetta and Marco, like how did y'all get into wrestling? I've been watching and a fan of wrestling since probably them four or five. Um, I've been to shows in, you know, multiple countries. It's something I, I'd always wanted to do. And so the thing is, um, wrestling is very wrapped into my identity because, you know, before when I was young, um, my parents did not, my parents were not super, um, my, my parents tried to kind of shield and kind of gatekeep sort of the way the outside world kind of um, worked. And so I was not really, a, I did not really understand or grasp transness or queerness as a young person. And when you're young and you feel like, I don't want to be the gender I'm, I have to live. And you look at wrestling and wrestling, I mean, this, 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 you know, this has been done to death, this comparison, but like wrestling is a lot like drag in that it is a, a, a performance of gender and wrestlers are one of the like at the time one of the few like amab like assigned male birth people who are allowed and encouraged to be very pretty and i used to think that i wanted to be a wrestler because then i could be pretty and then i grew up and i was like well i could just be a woman that's fine um and i never and i just always assumed that okay well you know i've uh, you know my in my I transitioned um, in college and I had basically just like, all right, well, I transitioned and here are the things that I will never get to do because of that. And one of them was like be a wrestler, which I had, I had intended to start training as a wrestler after I finished college. Um, and then I moved to the Bay Area and I failed at everything else I tried to do with my life. I tried to be an art teacher, a therapist, a nurse, um, every other life plan just like blew up in my face. And so, you know, I was like early thirties and I had an opportunity to train and become a wrestler. And I took it, even though I, you know, people, the, the people that are like considered the best wrestlers in the world right now are my age. And they started when they were like 18. So I knew going in that I had a, I had a shorter shelf life. And I probably wasn't going to go like I, I probably wasn't going to like do go on the sorts of shows that I grew up watching. And, you know, I am very great. You know, for me, every day is extra, you know, uh, because full queer is really like more than I could have fathomed being able to do. Um and that's why I really take the work very seriously because, you know, I really feel like every chance we get to put on a full queer event, talk about full queer, like I want to meet, you know, I'm always, um, I'm always thinking about how to push it and push it and push it because I never thought I'd get this far. And I still feel like I have a lot of en like steam left in the engine, you know? No, oh, thank you for that. And, um, and, uh, and Marco, like when, uh, yeah, how, what was your intro to wrestling or what, you know, how did your love for wrestling begin? My dad and brother used to watch it. And I think part of it was like, my dad felt like I have to like all the American things to acclimate. So he loved watching baseball, football, pro wrestling. And so it was like a thing that my brother and my dad would watch growing up and I hated it. I just thought it was 
I didn't get it. I just thought it was stupid. I just, at the age, I was like, I have no idea what this is. It's stupid. My mom didn't like us watching it because my brother actually in first grade broke my arm because he, I had my arm on a throw pillow and I, we were watching TV on a Saturday. I'll never forget this. And he wanted to play wrestle like in the living room. And I was like, no, I don't feel like it. I just want to watch TV. So he jumped off the couch with both of his knees and landed on my arm and broke it. And uh, I just told myself from then, I was like, I hate wrestling. I never want anything to do with it. And just one day he had it on and I was getting ready to tell my mom that mom, Jorge's watching wrestling. I was going to tell on him and just something clicked. I just was like, mom, and then I, it, something just grabbed me. And then I was like, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to watch this. And uh, pro wrestling has just been one of those things that since then, even when it's really bad, I still, like right now, like WWE, AEW, I'll casually pay attention. Because pro wrestling's like, for me, is like that drunk uncle who you know can be problematic but there's something comforting about him where, you know, okay, I could, if I'm really bored and I need like a dose of nostalgia, I could turn on pro wrestling and it'll take me back to that good feeling I had watching as a kid. Or if, you know, one of my friends is on TV and they're like, Oh, I just wrestled on AEW dark. I will support them and I'll cheer, you know, and cheer my heart out for them. And pro wrestling has just been one of those things that's always been there for me. And it, you know, like Jetta was saying, everything in pro wrestling is just bigger and over-exaggerated. And me just, my personality has always been that. Um, so it's just, just been one of those things that uh, once it grabbed me, I have not let go of it. And ever since then, it was like every fucking Friday, we would go to Blockbuster or some video rental. I'd go right to the wrestling section. And that was like my library to pro wrestling, whether I had to rent the double pack WrestleMania 4 because it was two VHS tapes. Brooke, we used to watch wrestling on VCRs. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Uh, yes, we would. <laughs> I would trade tapes at school with my friends. Of what is that? Different yes, yeah. What is that? Um, yeah, it's really weird when your friend is on television. You're like, oh, that's cool, and then you like show up to a brewery in San Jose, and you're just like, oh, I'm fighting that person today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that is ridiculously cool, and it's just mad cool. Uh, really cool. Uh, to hear your all of your stories, and um, I want to. I have a few uh, questions about what it means to like you know to to be have this kind of space, like this safe space, right? But before that, um, I want to get into some of your individual wrestling personas, like your your characters, and you know what those characters mean to you, and how you're you know you know. Like, let's start with uh, Brooke. Yeah, uh, Brooke Havoc. Tell us how you arrived at Brooke Havoc and the the origin story of Brooke Havoc. Yeah, so I'm a huge pop punk fan and a huge AFI fan. So I actually stole the last name Havoc from their lead singer, Davey Havoc. 
and I actually made a joke that he was my father and somebody put it on Wikipedia in his bio. It was the funniest thing ever. I still have like a screenshot from it, but uh, yeah. And people DM'd me and they're like, oh my gosh, is he actually your dad? And I was like, I wish, but no. <laughs> uh, so that's how I got the, the name. And I've just, another thing like with wrestling that I loved a lot was like rock music, pop punk, emo music, all of that stuff. And I feel like, wrestling is like the one place where I could like fully be comfortable and confident being myself dressing how I want looking how I want and like not getting judged about it because I like when I was in high school and stuff I I had a lot of like friends that didn't care for rock music or anything like that so like I it wasn't a thing that like if I did choose to wear like my wrestling shirt, I kind of got made fun of. If I did choose to listen to uh, like Avenged Sevenfold, they'd be like, what are you playing right now? Like take Brooke off the ox, like somebody <laughs> switch it up. Uh, so I kind of like suppressed that stuff when I was in high school. And then once I got into wrestling, I just felt comfortable and confident being able to bring that back out and to see the, like support and little community I have of people that enjoy the same things is like the closest thing ever to me. And and Brooke, remind me, where did you um where, where did you grow up and where did you go to high school? Like where did you have to like kind of suppress this this identity that you can like show showcase now? Yeah, I'm from a small town called Morgan Hill. Uh so yeah, it's not a big town, and everybody's kind of the same there. So just being different wasn't, like, a comfortable thing for me. Um, and then I actually trained out in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Nightmare Factory with Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall. So I was out there for, I would say, like, a year and a half or so. Yeah, I was out there for a bit, and then came back and just have been wrestling around the west coast now amazing yeah and who wants to go next jetta or marco my original persona i used to have a baseball gimmick and i it was tough for me one because i hate baseball and two i have like a long traumatic history that revolves around baseball that like a lot of my friends don't know um, and so I sometimes pretend to not know anything about baseball. Um, and it was just like, you know, I, I dressed like a league of their own, um, you know, the Rockford peaches. And I just got so tired of, of people coming up to me and telling me it was their favorite movie. I got tired of having the one line everyone remembers from that movie being screamed at me. Um, you know, it's just, yeah. You know, the, the thing about, um, the thing about the thing that really spoke to me about doing the rock for peaches gimmick, a lot of people don't know this, but like when, you know, when they let ba- women play baseball, um, they, they created the, the, the professional women's baseball league in, in the, you know, uh, mid forties during the war, like those women were like, not allowed to be like, not allowed to, um, they were not allowed to leave the city limits on their own. They had to be escorted by a man 
They had to wear a specific shade of lipstick. They were not allowed to do this or that. You know, a lot of them were gay and a lot of them had to be closeted about that, which is, you know, also true with wrestling. And, you know, I think on the one hand, people see it as like, oh, girl boss, women doing cool stuff. But there's this other aspect to it. It's like, that is a sacrifice that those women made to advance the struggle for all of us. And I think about that with like Rosie the Riveter, you know, um, you know, during the war, you know, women were working in factories and taking, you know, the, the manufacturing jobs over and factory work, you know, it's like, you know, the Rosie the Riveter pictures, you know, it's, it's hot, it's an icon, but factory work sucks. And like, it had to have, along with the economic mobility that it afforded a, a, a generation of women, it, it was also like tough and backbreaking. And, you know, the first, the, you know, the, we all, when we all think of Rosie the Riveter, we think of like, you know, a very pale looking white woman, but like, you know, the first Rosies were, you know, women of color, you know, and the, that was something, those were, those were a sacrifice that women of that generation made so that we could, so that they could, you know, advance like the plight of women within America and that they could support their communities and that they could defeat fascism. You know, the irony of course is that fascism returned to America anyway. Um, you know, and so when I, when I was wanting to redo, you know, I, I'm really into, I, you know, and I, I talk about this a lot, but like the thing about wrestling that I like, I don't think of it as like a power fantasy. I think of wrestling as like narratives of suffering. You know, I, so a couple weeks ago, I wrestled this, uh, this real firecracker of an upstart. You might've heard of her, her name's Brooke Havoc. And we, we wrestled um, in San Jose and there's this moment where she dove um, off the ring onto me into the crowd. And the place went crazy. And a, and a part of why people go crazy, not only is that a spectacle, but in, in a moment when they see that, they all in their minds project themselves. Oh, what if that happened to me? What if Brooke Havoc jumped midair full force at me? I would probably die, you know? And that is how what most people think at any time they do a move. Like earlier in the match, I, you know, I hit Brooke with a spinning powerbomb. And she got back up because she's a she's a champion. She's a superstar. And, you know, the reaction that we got from that move is one, it's a visually impressive move. But two, everyone who saw Brooke take that move in their minds were like, if that was me, I'd be dead right now. Um, and, you know, Brooke got up and kept fighting. And I think that is what is beautiful about wrestling is that, like, we all are going through stuff that feels... Like, we cannot endure it. We are all going through shit that feels like it is too much all the time. And we still have to, like, power through it. And so what I'm interested in wrestling is, like, you know, I want people to watch wrestling and be like, you know, if if Brooke Havoc can can get up from a 360-degree spinning powerbomb and then dive off the stage and knock her opponent out, then I can do, I can get through this. I can get through my breakup. I can get through these hard times. Like that's what I'm interested with wrestling. And that's what I'm interested in doing with, with, with Rosie is like, you know, creating narratives of hardship. Damn. And, um, Marco, tell, tell us about your, um, your wrestling persona. I think I know what it is, but I want to, I don't want to 
misspeak. So go ahead. <laughs> when okay, so I have a mask persona. I think that's what you were uh, referring to as Llama Jack, and Llama Jack is like this melting pot of being Peruvian and incorporating llamas into me as a pro wrestling, and also uh, <clears throat> Mick Foley and all of the faces of Mick Foley when he was Cactus Jack, when he was Mankind, Dude Love. I take a little bit of that. And also just kind of like the badass wrestlers from the 90s that I grew up really idolizing, like Big Van Vader. So there's a little bit of that when I wrestle as Llama Jack. And that's it's just kind of like my love letter to being Peruvian. It's just like me uh, expressing that through pro wrestling. And when I wrestle as Marco Mayor, uh, that's just, you know, me with the volume cranked up. You know, if I'm uh, a heel in in the match, then I'm going to be uh, a super asshole. It, I try to think of all the times when I worked at Moby Dick Bar and I would have to get into a patron's face and tell him to fuck off. Or just, you know, sometimes there's things that in real life that we don't get to say. And, you know, as a bad guy, I get to say it and have the crowd go, ooh, that was that was fucked up. Or like, ooh, that was really cool. I can't believe he said that. Or I can't believe he did that. So uh, that's um, that's one of the things that I love about pro wrestling is I get to be myself, but uh, super turned up. Yeah, I love that. I remember when I think the, the first show I went to, I saw you wrestle as Llama Jack, and I was like, oh, I think my guy is Andean somehow. I think I know, I believe there's a connection. So yeah. I didn't know you were approving, but that's, that's really cool. Uh, I, love, yeah. I love that story. I've uh, gotten so many uh, llamas from friends, from fans. They'll just come and, uh, like, hey, I saw this and it made me think of you. So uh, whenever people come over, they see a bunch of plush llamas. Uh, they always ask me, where did you get those? And I'm like, I didn't get them. Some, someone uh, found it and gave it to me. So that's been one of the really cool things, too. Awesome. Yeah. And I had a question and, you know, apologies if it's it's a bit of a, a deep one or a heavy one. You know, uh, Jetta, and earlier in our conversation, you had mentioned that, you know, uh, talking about Rosie, right? Uh, Rosie the Riveter and all these women in factories working to defeat fascism. And now we the iron the irony of of seeing fascism you know here uh you know where we live and uh, you know i don't have to tell y'all um you know of all of the uh, very uh very ugly and, and scary things that we're seeing throughout our our country um you know legislation and and, and protests and and violence you know um you know transphobia homophobia um it's all around us um so in that in the spirit of of what's happening around us what does you know, being able to participate in, in full queer, you know, having this space, you know, something that's just a one-off during June, but something that is regular, uh, and having people come out and support it. Um, you know, what does it mean to you, especially to, to do this work right now? Um, this wrestling, uh, this wrestling work and production action, uh, amid this, um, this pretty terrible climate that we're seeing ourselves in. You know, for me, 
I was recently asked on another podcast what what pride means to me. And for me, pride isn't just about resistance, but it's also an acknowledgement of solidarity. You know, pride, you know, the pride movement from its inception was multiracial and from its inception, like, was an understanding of racial power and racial dominance and racial violence. And you know, um, it, that has become sort of whitewashed as pride is now become, you know, about, you know, companies that, you know, you know, about, you know, banks and beer companies and white gays that just want to like drink their mimosas. Um, and, you know, I want, you know, I want full queer to, to, you know, that's why we don't, I, I do not investigate the sexual identity or history of any of our talent. Um, I don't really care if straight people work for full queer as long as they understand that the intention behind the work is to promote solidarity amongst all people who, you know, at some point or another become criminalized. Um, because, you know, I think that, you know, um, you know, I just think that this idea that like the, the stuff that is happening with trans people is obviously very scary. Um, and it does occupy my every thought of every day. Um, but, you know, it's not unique unto us, you know, like what is happening, what is happening to trans people happened to indigenous people and, you know, happened to, you know, Latina communities you know, during the Trump presidency and happened to Muslim communities during the Trump presidency. It's not, it's, it's scary. And, you know, it definitely feels a little more pointed, but that none of that stuff is new. And I, you know, what I like, what I want to do with full queer is just show that, you know, um, that the work that, you know, the, the, we can, we can win when we're together, um, which is something I don't think, I think like right now our political imagination is pretty limited um, just because we're, you know, neoliberalism, Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's definitely this sort of idea, you know, within like the center left or progressive movement that it's like, well, you know, we all just gotta, we all just gotta bite the bullet and, you know, promote ideas or candidates or concepts or, promote a way of life that doesn't serve everybody because it serves a, a slightly larger portion of us than, than the alternative. Um, and I just, I think we should reject that, you know, like we should all have buy-in, we should all work together. We should all, you know, when, when we can win, when we work together, you know, that's a wonderful answer, Jetta. That's Thank a, you. Really beautiful. And uh, Marco, um, same, same question to you. If, uh, if you'd like to answer. I say it all the time. I stand with my trans brothers and sisters. They're, you know, they're under attack right now. Drag queens are under attack right now. I feel like even outside of full queer, we as a society, anybody who just has any kind of decency to them should just see how transparent this is and really like, we need like a call to action. I don't know if that's what it's called or not. I want to, uh, spend as much time as I can trying to uplift people. And I think what we're doing with Full Queer, we have so many 
marginalized wrestlers who have had just such shit life experiences. And for the few hours that they could spend at our show, uh, I they feel like seen and heard and uplifted and create. I think that's like the best environment for someone to create art. Art is inspiring. And as artists, we inspire each other and having uh, are, are you, and having uh, a platform like Full Queer, it inspires me all the time. I'm constantly thinking, how can we make it better? How can we increase our reach? How can we uh, have more people feel seen? And I hope that, you know, like the fans that come there, uh, they feel, they see what, I hope that they see what we're doing and it, it, and it inspires them, hopefully. So that's just, for me, it's just been really great to just feel like we're building this like, like this community center for marginalized people who in regular society, they just kind of go through the motions of living life and don't feel seen, don't feel heard, don't feel as valued as they should. And they could come to a show like Full Queer and it's the complete opposite for them. We're just up, all about uplifting each other and um, helping each other uh, see the value and reach our potential as people. I I don't I I would love to feel confident enough in myself that I would say that you know wrestling is my contribution to society. Um, but yeah, I mean to to keep putting over our champion uh, Brooke, you know something that is really great about her um, is like how like it's wonderful to go to shows and see like young kids like looking up to her and like wanting their picture and like seeing themselves in her. And we don't really have that a lot in like queer spaces. Um, you know, like obviously, you know, um, you know, Brooke identifies as an advocate and ally and, but you know, even then, you know, we don't, we you know, like when you go to pride events, like, there isn't there isn't always this like aspirational element to it because it is like well here are all the gays that weren't killed um and many of us have anxieties about children because we've been told for decades that we are a danger to them um and so it's really great to have someone like brooke who is so emphatic about like whole you know wearing a giant rainbow you know, around her torso and like taking pictures with kids because I want, I want kids to see that, like, um, that, you know, you can, you can aspire to be better and you can aspire to grow and also radically hold on to your queerness. And it's not something that needs to be put on a shelf or withheld or, you know, thought of, you know, something that you'll go back to after you like, sort your shit out and become an adult like you can be gay and weird now yeah and yeah. I, one thing about brooke too i really <laughs> when i saw that she wrote this i uh i got a little emotional she posted that all the money she makes on sunday at full queer from selling her merch she's donating it to the trevor project and it's just kind of like you know I, even though it's on an independent pro wrestling level, just for her to tweet that out and to put that on her Instagram, 
and just be selfless like that. It's just like, she gets it. She understands it. She's, first of all, a woman in, in pro wrestling, in society. She's Mexican-American. So it's like, you know, we all have these, what, uh, you know, what uh, affluent people would consider strikes against us. Uh, she's like making it like this empowering thing for her and i just think that's great it's really cool and it it, it inspires me definitely yeah yeah y'all yeah, inspire me um you know as somebody who has very little athletic ability i i, I see what you i see what y'all do and uh i'm in awe you probably have more athletic ability than me you should start training probably <laughs> me too yeah <laughs> uh, uh, yeah I, i'm getting jumped by six-year-old twins uh leaves me uh leaves me sore <laughs> the next day <laughs> no uh but i i just really appreciate both of y'all and and brooke as well again can't reiterate enough how appreciative i am of not just your time but what you're doing um right now taking a, you know an active stance and showcasing your art uh, and creating this space and i really appreciate it um my final question isn't necessarily a question it's just more like an invitation you know, maybe for both of y'all to share something, whatever it is that you like, um, you know, maybe it's a, a, something that you'd like to emphasize or elaborate on or maybe answer a question that perhaps I might have not asked or, or might have missed. So, but in either case, um, the floor is yours, Jetta and Marco. Outsports, this, I just man, I love this. Outsports, like it was June 1st. Here's all the pride shows happening in the month of June. And when they mentioned us, they referred to us as like the pro wrestling activist promotion. There was some kind of like teaching the history of queerness through pro wrestling. And I was like, fuck yeah, they get it. They see what we're doing. Like when we created our tag titles, I distinctively wanted to include uh, these Bay Area queer what I consider icons, Harvey Milk. There's so many younger queers, even just younger people, uh, allies and marginalized people, just younger people who have no fucking idea, no concept of how important Harvey Milk was for LGBTQ plus rights. Uh, someone like Sylvester, who through disco music um, brought people together was um, was uh, non-binary before that was even a term anyone was aware of. And through his dying days, didn't hide. He uh, would show up at local street fairs and events and stuff and told people like, I want people to see me. I don't want to hide. I don't want uh, people to wonder about me like through his dying days, he was very adamant, uh, Sylvester was very adamant to uh, to be seen and to be heard. And uh, what we, so this, this February, February 29th next year, it's a leap year. And we're going to reintroduce the Lone Star title as the Pedro Zamora Lone Star title. Uh, and we're gonna have like a thing at the Lone Star because February 29th, 1972, that is Pedro Zamora's birthday. And again, I wanted, we wanted to do something to honor Pedro Zamora because again, I remember as a young, I would think I was 10 years old in 93 when The Real World San Francisco came out and to see someone who was 
Latino, an openly gay, living with AIDS. And he would always make it a point to say, I'm not dying of AIDS, I'm living with AIDS. And to be on TV, he was, I think he was the first person on TV, on reality TV too, with AIDS. Uh, and it's funny, he died the very next day after the last episode of The Real World San Francisco aired. And I, like, these are people that I don't want anyone to ever forget about. So it's cool that we can do this through pro, res pro wrestling to have their, their names continue on. So that's that's always been very important to me. And I'm glad that uh, the platform we do have, we're, we are able to do things like this. Beautiful. Thank you, Marco. Thank you. I, I often joke that um, Marco and I are like, you know, the my brother, I only tell the truth. My brother only tells lies. Um, Marco only like always sees the positive and I always see the negative. Um, you know, I like being being a trans person is misery. Um, I'm not going to like shy away from that. Like I am in a lot of pain physically and emotionally all the time. Um, you know, I've been the target of multiple hate crimes. Um, I recently had to get a, like a dog to have someone to take, have something to take care of because otherwise the constant, like the constant anxiety and misery and dread that I feel navigating the world is so much that I, other, if I did not have full queer and I did not have a dog, I probably wouldn't get out of bed. Um, and, you know, I don't, um, and it's tough because I feel like I am an elder gay person and I am like creating space for younger gay people. And it is, it's tough because people are, you know, they're so excited for the space and I'm excited that they're excited. It is tough for me to get into that because my queer youth was just pain and isolation and misery and you know it's and i know that that's there's a lot of queer people that are like that and not even just queer people i think that you know i imagine that there are a lot of people who their formative years are spent in a time where there was not a cultural shift in their favor and now they're like well you know day late and dollar short i'm not you know, I'm glad that everyone is on board with this particular, you know, with this sort of progressive idea, but like it didn't include me when I needed it. And I think it's easy to become resentful. And I think um, for me, I think of full queer, not just as like a fun event that we get to put on and not just a creative outlet, but and it can be a sort of therapy um, I think that a lot of people, not just me, but I think a lot of people under capitalism just feel like they are alienated from their communities and they don't really have something that they can belong to that they look forward to that looks out for them. And, you know, I applied a lot of my lessons from anti-racist organizing to full queer. Um, you know, I, that's why we, you know, we put a lot of, we put a lot of stock in making sure that we have that we can take care of our staff our, our locker room and our staff the best we can um 
And that is sort of a little abnormal in the wrestling business. I don't mind saying, but I think that it's like that stuff, having an intentional community that wants you, that, that is able to make you feel needed. um, I think that is so important for people to process their grief at the pain that they have felt um, at the isolation alienation that they may have felt when they were younger in the crews or even now, because you know, I've definitely been to Oakland and been called the F word. I've definitely gone to Sacramento and been called the F word, you know? Um, you know, like there's pride flags on every goddamn storefront in my neighborhood, but that doesn't mean that we're liberated, right? And so, you know, I really want full queer to be a vehicle by which people can, you know, feel like that there is life for them outside of um that there can be life for them that celebrates all of them and that includes all of them and it's not just about you know eating your three meals and getting eight hours of sleep like there's you're more than surviving you're living jetta marco and brooke thank you so much for joining us today thank you thank you My name is Fatima Ramirez, and I'm the executive director of Acción Latina, the proud publisher of El Tecolote newspaper. I would like to personally invite you to our Golden Legacy Gala happening on August 26, 2023 at St. Mary's Cathedral in San Francisco. We are celebrating 53 years of award-winning bilingual journalism in service to the Latinx community in the Bay Area and beyond. Join us for a fun-filled night with hosts Rick Salinas and Richard Montoya from Culture Clash live music by La Familia Peña Govea and Conjunto Corazón featuring Francisco Herrera, Jose Cuellar, Liliana Herrera, and Enrique Ramirez, and dance the night away with the John Santos Sextet and friends. Bid on our silent art auction and buy your tickets to this historic gala celebration at accionlatina.org. Donations are also appreciated. Muchas gracias. <laughs>